0: welcome back to people analytics i'm your host lindsey patton today i have with me anthony lotto who is the vp of human resources at emory valley center welcome anthony
1: hi Lindsay. how are you
0: good well thank you so much for being on the show today uh, i'm really looking forward to our conversation before we get into it can you tell us who you are what you do and why you do it
1: Sure. So I'm, my name's Anthony, and I'm a human resource VP at Emory Valley Center. Um, I've done HR my entire life, my pro- entire professional life. So, except for a small stint when I thought I wanted to be perhaps a mental health counselor for about two years, I quickly um, changed my major and got a master's in HR from Rollins College in Winter Park, Florida. And from there, I just have taken a very exciting career in HR in a lot of different industries.
0: Yeah, so that's what I want to get into because, um, you know, one of my favorite things as an independent contractor is that I get to work with so many industries and I learned so much. So what was that like for you, you know, being jumping from industry to industry, but still relying on those core people skills?
1: Well, it was exciting. Um, one of the few very smart decisions I made in my younger years, <laughs> I kind of looked at two things that I wanted. I wanted a career that I could go to different industries and HR really stuck out even Mm -hmm. as I was in graduate school or or pre-graduate school, um, just kind of thinking, because most people in college don't know exactly what they want to do with their whole entire life. And I knew that I liked business and I liked people, but I Mm -hmm. didn't really know what industries. So I thought HR is something you could probably do in any industry. And I wasn't wrong. Yeah. Uh, It's not, it never failed me in that regard.
0: Yeah. And what you say is interesting is that we, you know, when, students get into college, we just expect them to have all their their life planned out. (laughs) So (laughs) yeah, so how did that, you know, decision of kind of going in to more of a a vague general direction of of what you really, really like? um, How has that worked out for you over the past couple of decades?
1: It's worked out great. Um, I think in the beginning of my career, it was holding on for dear life, because my first (laughs) HR job I came in and I was temporary kind of a two week contract just filing away I-9s and it was for nonprofit alternative education, high school and middle school. And from there, you know, worked there for about five years building that school up. And then we got acquired by for profit, um, basically a consulting firm. government consulting firm. I think they're out of business now or they've changed, but it was ACS at the time. So I, I literally went from a nonprofit $1 million to a, a Big 4 kind of consulting firm wow. and did the did 2 years on the road of being sort of the HR consultant mm-hmm. um so it was very interesting. And from there mm-hmm. it's just uh it's never really stopped
0: yeah do you have a preference in terms of industry or do you kind of like a little bit like the a buffet
1: (laughs) well yeah that's interesting so there's pros and cons to all of the industries Mm -hmm. i would have to say if i'm really being honest you know manufacturing has a lot of the speed and a lot at least in the manufacturing organizations i was in that were relatively medium sized to small. You have a lot more impact, and say in the HR function. Okay. Um, I was about to say manufacturing. You had a lot more say. So, but to be honest, the two, you know I worked at Orlando Health, which was a three billion dollar entity, a very oh. big organization, yeah. and it had a lot of similar characteristics to Sir to Simmons, which I also worked at. Okay, um, and they were both similar in size. Mm-hmm and when i say they had similar characteristics you know hr especially being in the roles that i've been in um as more of a generalist so when i say a generalist usually in a manager or director or vp role you mm-hmm. really are a generalist for all intents and purposes okay. and you you're either doing the functional areas yourself behind the scenes or you have a small team doing it or in the case of the larger organizations you have a functional department that you have to reach out to and work through them. And that's where, for me personally, it it gets a little bit unnerving because it's slower. Um, I'll give you an example. You know, in um, a normal company, I say normal, but in a smaller company where you have a lot more scope of control over recruiting, safety, benefits, when employees come up to you for issues, you can directly address it fairly mm-hmm. quickly. Yeah. Um, that comes with the good and the bad because you're also responsible. But as an example, at Serta, one of the big things they did when I got there is I was I had HR oversight over three of our manufacturing plants, and they had just gone to a center of excellence in which they moved all of the functional areas, recruiting, benefits, um, safety, a lot of the different areas into one big center of excellence in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. So whereas the previous HR person that, was, that I took her job, she could directly recruit and fill positions at the plants. The new process when I started was all of those recruiting requests would have to go to Atlanta. Mm-hmm. And Atlanta had a process that really took about 90 days to onboard, um, wow. not to mention source. So you think, well, okay, it's not your fault anymore. So you can say... I'll be in touch with recruiting, but if you're there on the floor with the employees and you're seeing all the overtime that's being pulled because, you know, corporate still hasn't filled their role, yeah. you still get the heat. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just in a larger company, you have less control over, you know, you can't just work harder and work to fill the positions. You You really are at the behest of the other entity and you have to learn how to play well with others. Right. Some right. people love that. I mean, there there are benefits to that, and it is nice to have a subject matter expert um, when it comes to contentious benefit issues or FMLA or or mm-hmm. workforce, um, work comp. But by and large, my personal preference is just having a little bit more control over the things that I can not control.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's it's a very nice feeling, um, and so I, you know, you're talking about the experience you've had throughout industries, but I know that one thing is true for you, uh, no matter what, is that a high functioning HR department is necessary. So, yes. what does high functioning look like to you?
1: So, I've kind of crystallized that over my many years, and I, I pretty much now very strongly believe um, in the following, Um, I I think an HR department that really has a grasp of the overall business goals, and what their score, what their scorecard is, what they're measured on and what they need. And being, you know, it's a little cliche, but it's true, you know, truly being a a partner to the business. Um, I think I've been successful in the various industries I've been in, and even you know d- depending on the scope of the business is i've really understood what a lot of hr professionals i think don't and they need to which is what generates the revenue at this business what is an expense at this business mm-hmm. where does this business want to be in three years in five years you know what are their most important goals and it's interesting because they are they're not readily apparent as as some people may think, mm-hmm. you know, in manufacturing, obviously um, it's units out the door and keeping the expenses down in healthcare. there were, there was a lot more of a focus on quality. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you kind of look around and say, okay, what drives revenue in a huge $3 billion healthcare organization? Well, I, I, and I know this example, very, it's very near and dear to my heart because when we had to do some cost, uh, we call it value creation. Um, a major consulting firm came and helped us take out about 180 million in cost and gain some of that in in revenue generation. But mm. they went around, and this was we we're talking seasoned HR VPs at that company and other departments, quality, you know, major major department heads. And kind of did this exercise of, okay, what generates money for this healthcare system? And there was every answer under the sun, most of them wrong. You know, it's like me- the drugs that we sell, the medicine, the beds, mm-hmm. nurses. Um, and and I didn't know at the time, but at the end of the day, it kind of made sense. It's like doctors, are the- doctors and their extenders, the ARMPs, they're the ones that you can bill for services. So any operation, any anything, the revenue generating entities are doctors and their extenders. It's like, mm. OK. And so <laughs> all that other um, stuff, I guess you call it, is it's extremely important. But just knowing those things helps you make educated decisions in any industry that you're in.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So another thing that I know that you're passionate about and you enjoy trying to find opportunities is um Leading when morale and pay is challenging. So <laughs> we've all been in those situations where you just don't want to work because the person in front of you is not being fun. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, yes. And, and so you like to, you know, find, you know, ways to kind of get morale up. So tell me a little bit about, um, you know, how you do that.
1: Well, um, you're absolutely right, and I've come kind of through the school of hard knocks to to, to say. Mm-hmm. And I will, I will start with this: you know, there are some organizations and people that are they're just toxic; they're not going to mm-hmm. change. And I would advise anyone listening to this if they're really beating their head on the wall and they're in a in a organization that's either discriminatory in some way or just harassing or just bullies. I've tried to fix those for too long in my life. You know, mm. my advice, sad as it is, just get out while you can. Yeah. Um, always make an effort, but you have to see um, there, there, if I could get little things in my life I could do differently, it's not much, but it's things like when I knew something, an environment was extremely toxic, just hanging around there for a paycheck and maybe trying to fix organizations that were beyond repair. Yeah. Um, there's not many, thankfully, but. I would just put that as a caveat. Absent that, you know, I think one of the biggest things that I've done that's been, it's, I'm more successful when I do it more, and I'm less successful when I do it less, but it's difficult, is um, whenever I started a new company, I tried to go on a listening tour, Mm -hmm. and um, I listen to everyone that I can. I try to schedule half an hour meetings with everyone from the CEO to the frontline person, Mm -hmm. and just... Listen, I mean, I'm always amazed at the amount of money, time and effort companies spend trying to figure out what their employees want when (laughs) their employees are literally screaming at them from every, you know, um, communication chain. And And I think companies tend to overcomplicate things when it comes to that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So... You know there's always different strategies with different organizations one of the things i'm most excited about here is we are so our challenge is we have people supported which are individuals with intellectual developmental disabilities and they need 24 7 care mm-hmm. so that we have three shifts you know 8 a.m to 4 p.m 4 p.m to midnight midnight to eight and we can't offer staff remote work in that environment as you can imagine yeah. um so the, the thing that um we are putting into place which i think is going to be a game changer is uh, compressed work weeks mm. they're not easy to pull off so we're hiring you know a specialist to help us who's had a lot of success mm. but that to me in, in our world um people are either going to go hybrid remote at least, if not fully remote, or in a situation where I call it on stage work. So, mm-hmm. what we're doing, we have to be on stage. There's no way to remote in. Um, yeah. Restaurant servers, you know, hospital people is just like that. Well, There are a lot of positions remote is not an option. But in that standpoint, having a schedule that is manageable, that you can work four days on and three days off, is there's no amount of money, bonuses, um, incentives that you can throw at a mismanaged schedule. And I found Mm. that in healthcare, uh, as big as a company as we were, and I find that here, which is you get into a situation, I call it the um, the spiral, Mm. where you've got a core group of people that are having to pick up extra shifts, because we don't have enough staff. And so Mm. you're burning out that core group of people and then they start to leave, and then you hire new people in, and once you get into that zone, and I and I always tell people, I tell my staff here, and I saw it at the other company I was with, it's, you know, imagine you're a new employee, and you start somewhere, and you work your normal week, and at the end of your first week, someone on Friday comes to you and says, hey, we really need you to pick up Saturday and Saturday night. We're in a staffing crunch, and they don't force you, but kind of they do. <laughs> And then, <laughs> yeah,
0: it'd be like, what the do, heck?
1: <laughs> you might do that once or twice, but then the next week they do it again. And the mm. next week they do it again. Mm. And there's always this. It's not even we need you to do overtime. It's last minute overtime. Yeah. So you can't plan any kind of a life if you have children, if you have any kind of um, a life basically outside of the office. It and, and what that does is it really embitters employees and it it makes them think you know appropriately maybe not in some cases that management doesn't know what they're doing and isn't isn't taking the steps to smooth out that schedule so a lot of people talk about money being you know at the top of the motivators I would counter that and say schedule most people don't say schedule first because they don't deal with a schedule that's chaotic the minute you throw in a chaotic schedule to anyone they'll they'll automatically say okay yeah get that right first and then yeah. <laughs> compensate me fairly cuz it's you know what you're asking for is super superhuman effort and that's not fair to do to you know certainly no employee but certainly not new employees
0: yeah. And so one thing that I really, really appreciated that you said was that you know you acknowledged it is difficult to pull off um, you know, having that awareness going into it and then saying, you know you've hired a specialist. So I really appreciate you know that foresight, foresight that you had to recognize like, all right, this is a little bit outside myself. let's let's get someone in who knows what they're doing. So what was that like working with the expert?
1: So thank you for saying that. Um, yeah, It's very insightful because I tried to pull this off at a previous company, myself, the VP of operations and several other people. We we're like, we're going to implement compressed work weeks. Mm-hmm. And as hard as we tried, we could not do it. And mm-hmm. it's difficult. So we have not worked with this specialist yet. So we yeah. just signed the contract and they begin on July 7th.
0: Okay, um,
1: cool. They do have a track record of successfully implementing this in our industry. So with direct support providers, and I looked at their presentation and I was laughing because I was telling our executive team that they've got the formula, whatever that Mm -hmm. formula is. That's what we couldn't get to at my previous company because we just we didn't have the expertise. It's almost like I joke around. I say it seems like it would be easy to do, but it's almost like the Uber algorithm Mm. <laughs> get that algorithm done and somehow that is meeting out cars and making it work but you think oh i could do that no you you're paying for the presentation that we got that that the way you implement it the way you break through resistance because you have plenty of staff that they like eight to four monday through friday yeah. and the compressed work week is hard to get around so you pilot it at certain areas you've got sort of weekend and night coverage i mean it's, it's fascinating once you see Someone that really has done it before, and you see how they lay it out. It's like, okay, that's how you that's how you do such a thing. It's not something that you know the average person can just pencil whip. And oh, here we go, Compress schedule, everyone.
0: Yeah, and I think you know with with schedule, I think time is something huge that we recognize we were not respecting enough before the the make pandemic,
1: make and
0: time. I think the pandemic really showed us how much our time was being exploited, how much Absolutely. our time was being disrespected. And now we're saying, no, this is this is precious to me. <laughs>
1: that's right. How much our time was being wasted. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, you think about that's an interesting point. I th- I think about pre-pandemic, you know, just how many endless meetings you would have and you need, <laughs> to, you know, do I need, and now post pandemic, I really ask myself, you know, do I need to be at this meeting for mm-hmm. the full amount? And I think you're right. Everyone has kind of collectively realized how much of our life credits we're giving away just in a wasted time. And I I really think, you know, there's controversy about remote versus not. I think it's a healthy conversation because I think at the end of the day, if anything comes out of it, it'll be some sort of a hybrid in which we all recognize, you know, I think the people that are, they want fully remote, they'll always be those people. But for the most part, Mm -hmm. I think most people want, just to not have their time wasted. Yeah. And not have to go in for nonsense things. Yeah. I mean, I think you you nailed it when you said we all realized how precious time is after the pandemic and I think people very appropriately are saying, you know, if you can't give me raises and keep up with inflation and all this other thing, at least yeah. respect my time, you know, don't have me come in for nonsense.
0: Yeah. And it's free, like, you know, for the most part right. to respect right. you, yeah, like, like- Yeah, yeah. You know, obviously we can't live in a world where we're not working all the time. I wish. I wish.
1: I wish too. That's Um, American culture.
0: (laughs) Yeah, but you know, let's let's just expect respect each other's time and. Um, and I, especially with digital, you know, everyone is accessible at any time. What so that? I think we need those boundaries. We need to have the conversation of, um, you know, like my time's not going to be wasted. Like you right. can't have the, these expectations of me.
1: Right, 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 right. Yeah, it's interesting. So, my yeah. girlfriend is a consultant and she works 100% from home, mm. um, once in a while she'll fly into the client, but a couple maybe five years ago I almost went to work for the company she's working for now okay and the reason I turned it down was it just the life on the road turned me off and I mean uh-huh. all of those consultants would fly in on Monday and they would fly out on Friday and I you know they did an engagement at the company I was working for for two years so I got to know these folks over that time period and at that time I saw marriages breaking up uh, people quitting because they're missing everything in their, pe- you know, their children's lives, and so I said no to that, and I think appropriately, yeah. I just like I can't do that. But then I I meet her, we start dating, and I'm just like, you work for this company? She's like, yeah. After the pandemic, it, to your point, like if you don't have to be on the road, they almost so it's flipped. In the in the past, it was mm-hmm. like you know you can you can work from home if you can, but really we want you to be in front of the client. Now Mm. it's the opposite. If the, if you can do it from home and the client has bought in too, because they're saving so much money. Yeah. Yeah. They don't have to buy
0: it. Yeah. Amazing
1: to me. I'm like, well, if the job was what you're doing, I would have done it, but.
0: (laughs) It's incredible how that shift has happened. Um, You know, I went from having jobs that I could do from home but employers that expected me to be in the office and now right. I'm working 100 from home and there's you know things that were taken away that I think we're like commuting for example yeah, yeah, that yeah. we just they're part of our lives is part of our life and we just were like okay we accept it and didn't yep. realize the yep. time that we could get back
1: totally totally mm-hmm.
0: So I want to talk about, too, um, you know, recognizing that you're in an industry where you can't have that remote option. Um, You know, there are across industries, there are different ways of working, Um, you know, even within across offices and organizations, people have different personalities. So how do you create, um, you know, more individualized or more, um, I guess. Um, custom experiences based on those industries and personalities?
1: Sure. That's a great question. Um, Cause it's something you always, so I would say it like this. Um, I have a phrase that I, I don't know where I picked it up. I don't take credit for it, but it's always it served me well. And it's, you know, you want to treat employees fair, but not equal. Mm-hmm. Because it's impossible to treat everyone equally because people have different roles, responsibilities. So um, I would say, Starting out, if you are an HR professional in an industry in which the vast majority of employees have to show up every day, such as what I'm doing now, or in a manufacturing environment, you know, I would I would get it in your head that you should show up more often than not show up, because it's a little bit of a respect thing, and also the employees that if they tend to be there on mass they tend to want someone that they can reach out to from an HR standpoint Mm -hmm. I'm talking to most of the time. Um, But for example, with my department, I have about four people and we've negotiated to where there's always HR presence here, but we can work remote days as long as we pre-schedule it a day here. So there's always gonna be someone here, but if I need a day, then we just work it out amongst ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, there's other individuals that really they can work remote most of the time if they want to. And so we've allowed that. Um, and then, like I said, with our onstage staff, the, the folks that really uh, remote is an option, they're going to get the compressed work week option. And it's interesting because you'll even have, you'll have someone that has the, I'd call it a nice office job, but you know, a nice, office job in which they don't necessarily have to be at work at eight or else there's a person waiting for them kind of thing. They can come in a little late, stop and get a coffee, but they're already um, getting a little bit, asking if they get compressed work weeks as well. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's something we have to think of. There's nothing wrong with that, but it's, it's the way it was intended is the folks that are not on stage can have a little more flexibility and work from home as long as their boss approves it. Um, but these folks who cannot have that option will give them the compressed work week option. And now you've got a little bit of hey, we want the compressed work, we can get three-day weekends off, and we may end up doing that. I mean, as long as the work's getting done. Um, Mm -hmm. I've seen a lot of different models. I think the one that I've never worked in, but I've heard has has real good results is sort of you have a core hours Mm -hmm. thing. It's Mm -hmm. like certain days a week, everyone's expected to be there between these times and then. After that, you know, you kind of make your own decisions based on your priorities.
0: Yeah. And uh, you said something that I hear repeated often on this uh, on this podcast is as long as the work's getting done. And I feel like that is such an enormous shift from the expectations of of years ago where. You know, we own your time from you know, like you said, 8 a.m. to 5 a.m. Um, and you better be and working and at your you know desk or computer or station. <laughs> but now, you know, we're we're recognizing that it's not about the the minutes and seconds squeezed out of someone; it's about the job
1: that they do. Absolutely, and I think if you don't, as an organization, understand that, or if you're in a culture that doesn't get that. Um, that's where kind of my earlier caveat probably just leave because um, I, I can share a story of a company that I worked for on a consulting basis only because they had 100 employees and they could not get productivity where they wanted it. It was low, mm-hmm. even for their their industry. Quality was low. Everything in that company was low. They made signs, <laughs> and when I went to work for the you know they brought me in to help and figure out why was morale low? Why were mm-hmm. all these things so low? And I went in, talked to everyone, tried to help as much as I could. I couldn't figure it out. At first, I couldn't figure it out. But it didn't take me long to realize the CEO and, and CFO have the mindset of everyone is taking away from us. No one is trustworthy. Mm-hmm. So we we're going to install you know the kind of software that's taking pictures of everyone's screen and seeing what they're working on. They, are, um, they have this facial recognition clock in. If they could... If there was five minutes, give or take, they'd take it from employees. So very low trust. Yeah. And what I determined right as I was leaving and they finally began to trust me and they knew I was leaving, they kind of let me in on all of the employees. And these are employees that they didn't like each other. The departments didn't talk, but they all had this sort of pinky commitment to work at a certain level which is not that very hard because it's like Uh, they can't fire all of us. Yeah. And their mindset was, you know, if you're going to treat us like children, we are going to behave like children. (laughs) You know, there are all these Slack channels going on on their phones and all this stuff. And like, that's how they were communicating. Meanwhile, they'd send like two or three emails to each other, you know, official emails during the day. And everyone's like, why is everyone just so out of snail space? And it's like, well, you didn't see the underground or chart and the underground communication and that, to me, I've always known that, but that was such a textbook example of you cannot legislate engagement or performance. Um, you have to motivate people and, you you know, by their heartstrings and get their commitment. Other than that, you can't get it.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's an example of how people can be incredibly clever when you give them a good reason to be <laughs> And yes. it, it reminds me of a story. Um, you know, it's really similar to when my husband and I we were in our uh, mid 20s and he was working at a brokerage firm that was, you know, very similar. Just you have to be at your desk. If you take off for an appointment, you have to make it up, you know, just oh, counting yeah. hours. Oh. So this was um, during the time where it, you know, technology. Uh, wasn't up as up to speed as it was. So he found out that he could log in to uh check in uh the time clock from his phone. So right. he would just take two hour lunches, yep. log back in on his phone yep. while he's at the gym, yep. and they wouldn't know because everyone's coming in on and out of the office during those two hours. Yep. <laughs> People will find a way.
1: <laughs> they will find a way. And I mean this company installed when I was talking to you installed um sort of cameras so you couldn't do that. But even the IT person at the company who had administrative control over that system was in on it. So he would adjust people's time. I mean, it's like, you know, it was just you. I guess I say this all the time: you cannot build a mousetrap to outsmart your employees. I always say to people, you can't. They will always outsmart you, and you you can't be at war with your employees. They will yeah. always. The best you can hope for is that they like you. And they're willing to do it for you. But if you think you can outmaneuver them, I've never seen it done. Maybe one day, but I've never seen it done.
0: There's always more, even if it's a small company, there will always be
1: more, even
0: if it's yeah, one in two people. That's right. (laughs) We want to
1: have a culture that is high performing and that will burp out those type of people that aren't performing on their own. You know, we love working here. We love it. We don't want anything to screw it up. So we'll police it you don't have to install systems and, you know, add in five minutes. If you took five minutes extra at launch, it's just, it's such nonsense. And yeah. I, I yeah. don't know if those cultures can really, I'd be surprised to to see how long those cultures actually survive, especially after the pandemic, when you saw really that shift in, okay, no more nonsense time.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's, it was a slap in the face of, of We are—we're mortal. You know what have I? What have I done with my life so far? Right. All of this, and now um, you know—it's um, there's a lot of tragedy, but there are a lot of silver linings throughout mm-hmm. everything. Is mm-hmm. that I feel people are lead, leading the lives that they want to lead now, I think <laughs> and so. that I is think a, a big silver lining.
1: Big time, and technology really has enabled that, which is great. Um, I, I just wonder. I think it took the pandemic for everyone to fully utilize what, I mean, all the tech was in place pre-pandemic. It just was kind of being utilized halfway. And then once we had to, you know, all of a sudden we realized, hey, we can do this all the time.
0: Yeah, we are way more savvy now. Yes. Well, Anthony, this has been a great conversation. I've had a lot of fun talking with you. Um, But before we wrap up, is there anything that I missed or that you would like to add?
1: No, this has been very enjoyable. Um, HR is a great career field. It's probably needed now more than ever. Um, that was the other thing that I kind of thought of, and I i don't think I was wrong, is just like, okay, what will we always have? And it's going to be issues with people, good and bad, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> for, for our lifetimes. So I think it's a great career for anyone thinking of a career in HR.
0: Great. Well, if people want to learn more about you, what's the best way to do so?
1: Um, they can email me at anthonyrlotto at gmail.com, and I would be happy to reach out to them, answer any questions, share any stories.
0: Awesome. Well, if you or anyone you know is like Anthony who wants to create a better workplace, a more flexible workplace, and um, respect people's time, email me, lindsay at staffpeak.com. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to Staff Geek's People Analytics Podcast. I'm your host, Lindsay Patton, and I'm always looking to interview leaders who put people first. If you or someone you know lead with a people first mindset, please email me at lindsaystaffgeek.com. At That's L I N D S A Y at staffgeek.com. If you want to take things a step deeper and understand your organization's true culture DNA, I encourage you to take Staff Geek's free culture assessment. Just head to staffgeek.com and click the button that says Free Culture Assessment. Thanks again for listening.